Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. It's 2.08 a.m. Do you know where your Sherrods are? Probably with Matt Rowell, because he owns 52 of them. Welcome to episode 20 of Americans Watching the Footy. I'm Benjamin Castle, coming to you from the basement of Morrison Hall in Berkeley. And I'm Ethan Castle, coming to you from my room in South San Francisco, California, which, believe it or not, is south of San Francisco. Though it's not directly south of San Francisco. This is our round eight preview And yeah, we were really fishing for a way to start, and I think it showed. Regardless, though, there are a couple interesting topics of discussion before we get into the full slate of games for this round, and they have to do with the state of footy in America, specifically the AFL in America. That's right. Gillen McLaughlin has been making his rounds in the U.S. He was actually spotted with some Chabad rabbis the other day. That created a really funny photo. I believe he was at the tomb of Rabbi Schneerson, and that's a common site for blessings, even from non-Jews who are paying respects. He also took in an intra-squad New York Magpies game. It looks like, for now, Americans that don't have Watch AFL will be set because games will be on the Fox networks, many of which will just be on Fox Soccer Plus, which, if you have DirecTV like we do, you got to pay extra for. But there are some on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. And as we try to target more and more American listeners, in addition to the followers we have in Australia, we will be sure to inform you what channels games are on when we preview them. As for the future of AFL TV rights in the United States, things seem to be trending toward Paramount Plus, especially if Network 10 gets the deal in Australia, because 10 was acquired by CBS, now Viacom CBS, in 2017. And if so... Might that be the end of Watch AFL, at least in North America? I don't think so because of the ties into club memberships, but it's definitely something to keep an eye out for. Speaking of club memberships, I just got the email that my membership package for this season is on the way. Happy to have that coming, have some more Cats merchandise on the way. If things do shift to Paramount, I don't think that would be the worst thing, considering Paramount seems to be doing a pretty good job with the Champions League, which actually game was on today. Unfortunately, it was on Paramount Plus, though, if you want to just watch it on regular TV in the United States, you could do so in Spanish. And even though I've learned Spanish for over seven years, pretty difficult to follow the fast pace of the commentary at times. But for some reason, I just love listening to them regardless. I would be interested to hear what footy commentary sounds like in Spanish. That would actually be pretty entertaining. I feel like Andres Contour would run out of breath very quickly with how many goals are scored. Then he should just call a game in Cairns. There will be no goals to worry about. And speaking of Cairns, one of the teams that played there this past round is hosting the Friday night opener, that being Port Adelaide, with the Bulldogs visiting the Adelaide Oval. This game will bounce at 2.30 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Friday, May 6th. That's 5.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. American viewers can catch that on Fox Soccer Plus if they're paying for that. In Australia... It's a 7 p.m. local bounce at the Adelaide Oval, 7.30 p.m. for the Eastern States. Port Adelaide coming in at 2-5, 13th on the ladder. The Bulldogs 3-4 sitting in 10th. Both a far cry from where they were in 2021 when they met three times. They first squared off in round nine at the Adelaide Oval. The Bulldogs won by 19 and turned some heads. They played an empty Marvel Stadium in round 23 where the Bulldogs blew a late lead. Port Adelaide ended up winning by two on a late goal by Ollie Wines, a game that also helped clinch him the Brownlow medal. That was a win that earned home finals for Port. 
they cemented their spot in second place and it took the Bulldogs out of the top four. They ended up squaring off a third time in the preliminary final at the Adelaide Oval with a performance that I could only compare to Brazil against Germany, where the Bulldogs, instead of winning seven to one like Germany did, ended up winning by 71. <laughs> Very quickly, the Port Adelaide updates. Xavier Dersma was the medical sub last week, replacing Mitch Georgiatis after he injured his calf. However, Georgiatis is good to go, but Dersma will make his way into the lineup, replacing Kane Farrell, who is in COVID protocols. Charlie Dixon will be rehabbing in the Sandful this week. However, the two really big outs are on the Bulldog side, one of which is far more significant than the other. No disrespect to Mitch Wallace. We love Fluffball, but him being out with a foot injury pales in comparison to Marcus Bonampelli, who's officially listed as being managed, but has been dealing with a lingering ankle injury over the last few weeks. It's something that has definitely factored into his lesser numbers. I think from the beginning of the season, I just don't think he's been right from round one, maybe even before that. I think it may have been something that happened in the community series. He benefits his team so much wherever he's played, even when he doesn't get on the scoreboard when he's playing in the forward lines. He's done well in terms of tackling and pressuring in the forward 50. But good to see the team and Bonapelli himself putting his health first and looking more at the longer term here. Here's my question with the ins for the Bulldogs. First off, midfielder Anthony Scott is in. Maybe that's for Bonapelli. Maybe that means they were going to play Marcus further back this week than they had in prior contests this season. The other in making his second career appearance is Buku Kamis. We highlighted him as a potential in a few rounds ago after he had kicked four in a VFL game. And Buku's inclusion means that despite having never lived outside California, I am just two degrees removed from someone who's playing AFL this weekend because I know Buku's friend, Kwani Kwani, one of the forwards on the Cal men's basketball team. I mentioned talking to him about the footy at a rugby game, incidentally, in an earlier episode. On their roster page, he's listed as a defender, and I believe that is where he played in his one game last year. But for this game, they've got him lined up as a forward alongside Tom Libertore and Aaron Naughton. Libertore in the forward line is an interesting move, but maybe that's also a vote of confidence for Josh Dunkley and Adam Trelore and Jack McRae in the middle. I'm surprised that Josh Shackey isn't even listed as a possibility to be the medical sub. My guess, looking at the four names here, is that it's going to be Hayden Crozier. We'll find out tomorrow night. They could go in a different direction, but as bad as Shackey's blunder in round one was, which is so bad we're still talking about it, also helps it was in the opening game of the season, I think his overall body of work has been good enough to merit selection, and clearly Bulldogs management doesn't see it the way I do. I'm going to go ahead and assume that they know more than me. When we were first looking at this matchup a couple days ago, starting to plan how we'd talk about it, before we knew that Bontepelli and Wallace were out, the game was listed as a pick ever so slightly favoring the Bulldogs. Now, Port Adelaide are seven and a half point favorites. So that shows you how much the bookmakers and the betters alike think Bontepelli, or the lack of him, impacts this contest. These lineup changes make me think the Bulldogs are gearing up to try to play more of a defensive game. Maybe the sort of flow of the game they had out in Ballarat a couple weeks ago, even though they ended up losing that one, they weren't kicking accurately. Obviously, the win was a factor. And it was kind of the way they played the first half against Essendon this past week as well. Maybe this is their insurance policy, slow everything down so that the other team has fewer chances to punish the dogs when they don't kick straight. I think after last week and after a couple of the other good kicking performances they've had, I don't think they're as worried about that. At least I don't think they should be. I think it's more just that without Bonampelli, it may work more in their favor to make this a low event game. And we've been impressed with Port's defense as well, so we'll see which team continues to impress us more. And that'll likely be the team that gets the four points of this round opener. Ryan Burton and Dan Houston have both really stood out for us. This will be another opportunity for them to shine, although I think more than anything, there's a chance that the midfielders take care of enough for the power, although no midfield is going to have an easy time when you're dealing with the likes of Bailey Smith. I did think last week they looked pretty complete, especially in the second half. 
I thought it was one of Smith's better games, even if the numbers didn't quite show it as much. And I think you could make an argument to actually play Bailey Smith further back because he's so good at advancing the ball through some of those long kicks with his pure strength that you can have him start further back and then have him kind of jettison the ball out and get the forwards rolling. That said, when you have him in the middle of the ground, you get those long kicks and then the forwards can kind of leak out past the defenders as they did against Essendon. I still think there's an opportunity there for the Bulldogs forwards to leak out. At least there was last year, although I think Burton and Houston have definitely found a new form, which is what makes this season so complicated for Port Adelaide. The record is not where they want it to be. Ken Hinckley is deservedly under a lot of fire. And yet they've had some individual performances that actually make you think, all right, we've got something going here. And if you had said at the start of the year that through seven rounds, Ryan Burton and Dan Houston would both be playing so well, you would think Port Adelaide's record would be a lot better than two and five. This is the sort of game continuing looking at Port's defensive unit where we could really judge the singular impact of Alir Alir. Who do you think is going to be his main matchup in this one? I'm thinking maybe Aaron Naughton. That's possible. Maybe instead they get a little complacent and play off Naughton because he was pretty quiet last week, though. Without English there, I think it makes that matchup situation a lot more complicated. And Alir has more than enough mobility to match up against Stefan Martin. So I feel like there's going to be a greater task for him than that. Considering his mobility, that is probably where Naughton does become the logical matchup. This is one of those rarer Friday nights where we actually have two games going. And that's kind of sad because Ethan's going to take the assignment for the first and much more interesting affair, while I will be focusing on a game between two teams that are going in opposite directions. Actually, I wouldn't say opposite because one of them really isn't going in any direction while the other one is soaring upward. That being Fremantle hosting North Melbourne at Optus Stadium. Bounce set for 3.40 a.m. Pacific. On Friday the 6th, 6.40 a.m. Eastern, so Fremantle and North fans in the Eastern U.S. can just get up early to watch this one. In Western Australia, it'll be a 6.40 p.m. local bounce, and that corresponds to 8.40 p.m. in the Eastern States. This is going to be much more accessible for U.S. TV viewers because it's going to be on Fox Sports 2 live. And it's also going to repeat at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Fox Soccer Plus if you're compelled to watch it on delay or if for some reason you forgot to record it, if you weren't going to watch it live. I don't entirely know why this game is more accessible to American audiences than the prior one. I don't think showing North Melbourne is a great way to appeal to U.S. audiences. Maybe they proved me wrong this week. Probably not. Dockers enter this one at 6-1. and one. They're in third. Roos are 1-6. They're in 17th. These teams met in an empty stadium last year in round six. Shout out Mark McGowan. Dockers winning that one by 51 during the Anzac round. Fremantle this week, though, is going to look like a pretty different team. Coming off a huge high, winning at Geelong. Very difficult team to beat in any place, especially difficult in their own building. The Dockers manage that. But as of now this week, COVID's hitting them pretty hard. They're missing Blake Akers, Travis Collier, Michael Frederick, Rory Lobb, Griffin Logue, and Lloyd Meek. And who knows, maybe there will be others. They're confident as of what I read last that those six will be it. But those are six pretty significant names. You in particular highlighted Logue and Frederick for their underrated impact this past round. They are getting Sean Darcy back from concussion. Heath Chapman and Hayden Young will be back from COVID. And Jai Amos is expected to debut. He scored eight goals in his last two games for the Peel Thunder. He was taken with the eighth pick of the draft last year, which they received in exchange for Adam Chera. Liam Henry back in for the Dockers. He hadn't played since round one. And it's funny because he had finished the 2021 season so strong. Really quality performance in round 23 against St. Kilda, but hadn't shown good form, I guess, between training and preseason this year. And after an unremarkable game in round one against the Crows, he had been sent down to the waffle. He's back now for the first time since that opening game and a chance to reestablish himself and cement his role again with the Dockers. North Melbourne will get a couple faces back. Aiden Core will be returning from an illness. He was initially reported as being a late entry into COVID protocols before North's game this past round. 
However, it turns out it's a non-COVID issue, so he doesn't have to go through the seven-day wait. Ben McKay is also going to be back from suspension because, of course, he couldn't play Harry. Jed Anderson is also healthy, but Nick Larkey is suspended for this round after his tunneling of Lewis Young. And I'm honestly wishing he got a second game for that. Him getting one and Patty Ryder getting two does not add up. Fremantle entered this game favored by 38 and a half as of now. The line was 45 and a half before the last couple of COVID outs came in, those being Frederick, Meek, and Logue. I don't think anyone's doubting Fremantle's ability to win this game, even if they're even further shorthanded. But I think there's an avenue for North Melbourne to keep this game close because there are times when Fremantle's not a super high-scoring team and they get stuck in some slower types of games where instead of forcing turnovers, their pressure just makes teams slow down. I don't doubt Fremantle winning this game at all, but I question if, especially without Michael Frederick, if they're going to be able to keep up the pressure on the North Melbourne defenders. That said, other than Mackay, not like there's been a lot to impress among North Melbourne's defenders, but having him back definitely provides a massive boost. Let's see where the scoring comes from this one for Fremantle with Lob out, with Taverner out for two to four more weeks with his hamstring issue. A real chance for Jai Amos to make a case for him staying in the side right away. I think the better play will probably be in the back two-thirds for Fremantle between who they've got returning there, the speed they can get out of there, and what their midfield unit has already proven. Even with Lloyd Meek in protocols and even with Tristan Jerry out injured, should still be pretty good matchup in the ruck with Sean Darcy going up against Todd Goldstein and Callum Coleman-Jones. Last week, it wasn't just Lloyd Meek doing his thing for Fremantle in Darcy's absence. He was out in concussion protocol. But the Dockers also got a few hitouts from Rory Lobb, who will obviously be out this week. Who gets any sort of opportunity out there other than Darcy could tell us something about what sort of their contingency plans are. You can see a hierarchy for them when they have all their options. Number one, Ruck is obviously Darcy. Number two is Meek if he's in the lineup. Past that, probably Lobb. He can kind of take that Tom Hawkins forward ruck role. If anyone else gets any hitouts, it'll tell us something about where their depth chart sits. We've got five Saturday games this round, two sets of games running at the exact same time, and then one standalone game in the middle. One of the two games in the early slot, or slot A, we'll call it. We'll just call them A, B, and C, since while it is the early slot on the schedule for American audiences, it'll be later in the evening. So let's just say slot A for simplicity's sake. Richmond taken on Collingwood at the MCG. Technically, this one is a Richmond home game. It'll get underway Friday night at 8.45 on the West Coast in the United States, 11.45 on the East Coast, and in Melbourne, where there should be a pretty enthusiastic crowd on hand. It'll be at 1.45 p.m. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game in the United States. Unfortunate, as I think this is the more compelling of the early slate, although the later one isn't going to be shown live either. Boo hiss. Richmond enter at three and four in ninth place, having picked up the easiest four points of the season by 109 points in Perth, dealing the West Coast Eagles their biggest ever loss at Optus Stadium. Collingwood come in at four and three, having needed a bit more than I expected to dispatch the Gold Coast Suns. These teams met in round 17 last year at the G, a contest in which Collingwood won by 16. And it was at that point that I really realized that Richmond's number was up for the season. The big story for this one, a lot of guys rejoining the squad for the Tigers coming back from injury, but the most important, arguably, close to a certainty at this point, they've been very happy at Richmond just to have him around the club again. And having him back on the field would certainly be a big lift for them in terms of on-field performance. It would also be pretty inspiring, whether you like Dusty or not, just to see him come back from the personal obstacles that he's faced, which are speculated. We don't know for sure. We can't get inside his mind, but speculated to be related to the passing of his father. Confirming now that Dustin Bart will be in as will Trent Cotchin, so two Brownlow medalists coming back in for the Tigers. However, Thompson Dow, Hugo Ralph Smith, and Robbie Tarrant not cracking the lineup just yet. The news was enough, though, to move the line on this game from a 10.5 spread in favor of the Tigers to 16.5. 
However, there's a chance that line makes a somewhat significant shift again before game time because very late news has come in that both Nick Flostone and Dion Prestia are out of the side with a non-COVID illness. They're both players through whom the Tigers operate a lot, especially Vlostone. We really liked how he's figured in since his return. So that'll likely put more emphasis on Jaden Short and Nathan Broad, wherever those two are on the ground. In place of Vlostone and Prestia, Marlon Piggott and Ryan Mansell get reprieves in the form of calls back up to the main side. On the Collingwood side, Ollie Henry is indeed back in, well-deserved. Trent Bianco in as well. For Collingwood, Ollie Henry is deservedly back in after a seven-goal VFL performance. Trent Bianco the other one in. Josh Gablich had predicted that Tyler Brown was going to be taken out of the lineup. No, instead it's his brother Callum Brown, along with former basketballer Jack Magic. Without Grundy, Toby Nankervis should absolutely have his way in the center circle. Nankervis is a very different build from Jared Witz. Witz tends to be very clean on his mechanics, while Nankervis is no stranger to getting into his opponents a bit more, and that's where Meg may struggle a bit more. Darcy Cameron will likely, of course, take the majority of the contest, but Nankervis should nonetheless have the advantage. And from there, who knows who he'll be able to tap it to. Richmond had Jaden Short move forward last round into the midfield. And while that was an experiment against the Eagles and it passed with flying colors, everything for Richmond passed with flying colors. So this will be a real test of that move, as well as Noah Balta and Liam Baker moving into the back line, if that also remains the scenario from last round in Perth. What really interests me in this matchup tactically is Richmond's back line have racked up really good possession numbers when you look at Jaden Short and Nathan Broad. But I really want to see how those two are tested with the forwards like Jack Ginevan, Brody Majacek. I was surprised that Jordan Tagoe wasn't so active last week. I thought he was going to snap back into things. I think it's less him struggling and more just Jack Ginevan taking center stage and Brody Majacek playing quite well. But this is going to be a really good test for those Richmond defenders. We're going to see if there's more substance to their game than just having a lot of possessions and moving the ball out of the back 50. How can they actually do tagging, guys? How can they do handling difficult assignments? It's one thing to gain a lot of ground, like Short, Broad, Balta have all been able to do. It's another thing entirely for that ground gain to have a tangible impact. And I think that's what you're getting at there. Benjamin's going to have the Richmond-Collingwood game, while I'm going to be focused more on the game over at the SCG, in which the Swans host the Gold Coast Suns. That one, same time as the other, 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast of the United States, 11.45 on the East Coast, and 1.45 local time in New South Wales. This game will only be available on US TV as opposed to streaming on delay on Fox Soccer Plus, and it'll be at 5 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Eastern. Don't exactly understand the logic behind that, but I am just stating the facts in that regard. Thank you very much to the Australian Football Association of North America for providing these TV schedules on their website, afana.com, a very valuable resource for any footy fan in North America. Sydney comes in in fifth at 5-2, having lost to the Brisbane Lions last week in a tough matchup in which they really only stayed close thanks to an exceptional output from Buddy, who bagged six. The Suns showed all right for a while against Collingwood, but the final margin of 25 is a little more self-serving for the Suns than it ought to be. They had some late additions to their score that made things look a little more pleasant. These teams met twice last year with the Suns pulling off a surprising 40-point home win at Metricon in round six. The Swans more than returned the favor, winning by 87 in the final round of the season at an empty Marvel Stadium. That game was originally supposed to be played at the SCG, ended up being played in Docklands. Swans took care of business before falling to GWS in finals in Tasmania. Not only are the Swans coming in angry off of an uncharacteristically poor performance, they're likely healthier too, assuming Patty McCartan and Logan McDonald pass their concussion tests. They also may have Tom Hickey back, assuming he gets through training on Thursday. So you could have the combination of Tom Hickey and Peter Adams in the middle there. Why is it that Tom Hickey always ends up ahead of schedule in his recovery? Guess he's just built different. 
Meanwhile, for the Suns, Will Powell will be back from a hamstring injury. And for a team that is in as dire a situation on defense as they are, despite some of the names that are back there, that will be a much appreciated addition. However, I find it unlikely that it will be the thing that turns this game toward the Suns' favor. There's a reason the Swans are favored by 30 and a half, even factoring in Powell's presence. Even though they came off their other loss in pretty uncharacteristic form, if you remember, they lost in round three to the Bulldogs. Then round four took on North Melbourne and didn't beat them anywhere near as convincingly as most would have expected. I don't think that happens here because they got pretty cleanly beaten last week. They should be coming back well from that. And you add in McCartan and McDonald. I don't think this is much of a contest. I see the Swans rolling and I see the concerns over Stuart Dew's viability as a coach swirling more and more. Also note that the round three defeat to the Bulldogs was when Hickey got injured. That meant he couldn't go up against the Dynamite-Ruck tandem for North, which in no way helped Sydney out on that front. What can Gold Coast do to make this game compelling? Well, one big area where the Suns can improve, and one thing that may have single-handedly cost them the win last round, was being clean on their shorter kicks inside 50. They had plenty of opportunities throughout the first half, especially in the first quarter. But it was these little stabs off of which they could have gotten close or mid-range set shots that they ended up turning over the ball a lot, whether on the fly or off a crumb. Shoring up that alone will allow their forwards to do their work a lot more. And as we've said plenty of times about the Suns, the talent is there. The talent just actually has to be given the right opportunities. And this is one case in which the onus may not fall as much on Stewart Dew if they're able to turn that around quickly. Because it wasn't an issue that I noticed for them nearly as much in the first few rounds. Though maybe that was because I was eyeing greater issues for them. My issue is, unlike in other matchups where I've seen the Suns as competitive at other positions and then very weak defensively, I think Sydney's as good as the Suns, probably a bit better at just about every spot. And then there's the massive gap defensively. It's going to take a pretty heroic effort from Tuke Miller. I would really love to see Matt Rowell have a really authoritative game because Miller can't do this one all by himself. And hopefully the coaching staff recognizes and Raul isn't told to tag part-time. That said, there are more than enough guys that they could probably use a tagger on, and there aren't enough good defenders to do said tagging. It puts Raul in a difficult spot where tagging isn't his greatest skill, but it's an asset that may make him a bit more versatile. And especially with Miller being the crux of their attack, Raul's supporting role there may keep him off the ball and may further facilitate that tagging role. That said, I think the Suns' best avenue would be to get into a shootout. Dane Rampey, who I had circled last week to have a big game against the Lions, really disappointed. The Swans' back line with McCartan in there is a bit better, but I think their fullbacks are still a spot of some weakness, as much as I like Nick Blakey. And if Mabi Orchol and some of the others for the Suns can attack and leak out behind, they could get some stuff out of open play instead of having to just rely on set shots and could put themselves in a position where they could once again be pushing to score 100 points. And if they do that, they'll have a chance. They're probably the only team in the competition, other than maybe Essendon, that I look at and say they need to be scoring around 100 points to have a shot. And I expect if they're going to be scoring that much, they're going to have to do a lot in terms of playing on the ground because of the intercepting prowess of Patty McCartan if he does in fact return. Although if you are looking to put someone on him, there are a few good markers in the forward lines for the Suns. Though I'm thinking maybe Jared Witz might try to drag him down toward the goal square. In that case, some ground might open up for the Gold Coast half forwards to have easier times in their contests. I just hope this is a competitive game. I want to be able to appreciate the talent on the Suns roster, and lately I haven't been able to do that because they've been such a mess. I was thinking that in the future, once we've done this for a little bit longer and we also have some greater backstory, we could just end up pointing out former Gold Coast Sun every time there's a former Sun that's doing something relevant. Hopefully we don't have to do that as much because that would mean the Suns have actually turned things around. But it's probably the case that we'll be saying former Gold Coast Sun a lot in the coming years. I'm glad that this middle slot on Saturday in Australia, late Friday turning into Saturday in the United States, has only one game in it. 
because after how these two teams fared last round, having results that went against their grain, this matchup may have the most situational intrigue as it relates to this moment in the season because it could really be a turning point for both Greater Western Sydney and Geelong. This will be at the Manuka Oval outside Canberra. Bounce will be 4.35 p.m. local on Saturday the 7th. So that's 2.35 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the United States, 11.35 p.m. Pacific in the final minutes of Friday, May 6th. This is another Fox Soccer Plus game in the U.S. The Giants under this one in 15th place at 2-5, and five, but coming off their thrashing of the Crows at the Adelaide Oval last week. So they're 1-1 one and one with Toby Green. The Cats are 4-3. and three. They sit in 7th place following the three-point loss to Fremantle. These teams met twice in 2021. They met in an empty Cardinia Park in round 21, where despite Jake Kolejashny's first career goal, the Giants still won by 19, marking the third straight year GWS has beaten the Cats in the regular season. But at Optus Stadium in the semifinals, Geelong took care of business, beating them by 35 to advance before getting their cheeks clapped by Melbourne the following week. Looking at the Giants situation, no real changes in who's going to be available compared to last week. You're looking at the closest return potentially being Brett Daniels for a foot injury in a couple weeks. Connor Stone and Zach Sproul returned to the action via the VFL this weekend, so maybe they could factor in soon as well, but likely not this round. Some good and some bad news on the injury front in Geelong. I'll rip the Band-Aid off and give the bad news first. Max Holmes had a syndesmosis injury and had surgery on his ankle. No timetable for his return yet. The good news is that Patrick Dangerfield should be back after being sidelined the past couple weeks from bleeding in his calf. We knew that there was some sort of concern in the calf. Now we have more clarity as to what it is. Dangerfield is, as expected, good to go. Francis Evans will make his second appearance of the year. I honestly don't even remember him being in the game against Essendon, but maybe that was because everyone else was playing so well that he was just a footnote. Quinton Arkell is healed up and back in, which is nice to see. And Cooper Stevens, after three years, is finally making his debut. Stevens is listed at the center line along with Duncan and Dangerfield. Francis Evans listed at half forward, which means Brad Close is listed as a full forward. Hopefully they let him retreat back and get into that slingshot role because I thought against Hawthorne, they misused him by sending him too far forward and thus he couldn't generate proper attacks like he's usually able to. Sometimes those initial lines are just that, those initial lines. We've seen some players start forward and then retreat back and rarely vice versa. So what we see on the AFL website right now may or may not be an indication of Chris Scott's plans. We'll just have to watch and find out for ourselves. It is also worth noting that Chris Scott is definitely a guy who likes to pull a fast one on teams last minute, you know, with a late in or out. So something like that being a chance to throw someone off wouldn't be entirely out of the question. More than a little surprised that Luke Dollhouse is not listed as a possibility for the medical sub this week. Instead, it's Mitch Nevitt, who I think is highly unlikely. You don't usually see guys making their debut as a medical sub. That's something the league is discouraged. Following Essendon doing it this year. Other options are Oliver Dempsey, Zach Guthrie, and Asava Radagalea. My guess is they go with Guthrie. My hope is they go with Asava. Not only is Max Holmes out, Sean Higgins is out injured. Ollie Dempsey omitted. His first game was solid, as we said. His second game, not so much. And the big one, especially against a team that's so good offensively, Joel Selwood is out with a quad injury. Hopefully it's minor. Selwood is more, at this point, important as an inspirational figure than actually physically being out there. They handled the Brisbane game just fine without him. So hopefully it'll be more of the same there. How surprised are you to see Ryan Myers remain in the lineup, considering his slipping performance as of late? Not all that surprised, actually. Especially considering that Dempsey struggled last week and that Holmes is out injured. If Holmes was healthy, I think there would be some reason for doubt. I just hope he plays better. The best news so far for Geelong is that even though they played against Fremantle, who came down with COVID stuff, to this point at least, and hopefully it's preserved, there have been no COVID issues within the Cats. I would knock on wood, but wait a minute. I'll get up and knock on the piano bench. With how well GWS played last week, definitely some trepidation. You think, oh man, are they really rounding into form with Toby Green? 
But at the same time, you think, all right, going to be tough for them to do this two weeks in a row. But the biggest thing for them last week was that Lockie Whitfield really turned things on. I'm looking at two guys for Geelong to really bring it this week that have been lacking for a while now. They're going to be dealing with a tough midfield battle with the likes of Tim Taranto and Stephen Canelio and his eyebrow. Not to mention Callan Ward, and we'll see where Lockie Whitfield slots into things. He was kind of in a half-forward role this past week, but is capable of moving up the ground through his time in defense and, of course, has that great finishing ability still. Because of those matchups, I'm looking for Mitch Duncan and Brendan Parfit to really bring it. Duncan played a great 2020 season, a pretty solid 2021. He's been quiet since returning from injury this year. I think now is the time for him to really bring it. I think he's ramped up. I think he's ready to go. And this is an opportunity for him to play a big game against some really tough players. Whereas Parfit looked incredible in round one, looked like a revelation, and really retreated into the shadows since then. I understand that some of that has just been because Brad Close has been playing out of his mind. But at the same time, I think there's room for Parfit to be better while Close still dominates the sort of speed-based midfield game that the Cats have adapted to. In terms of the midfield contests, maybe this is also a chance for Ryan Myers to showcase his tackling ability. That's something that I know you appreciated from him in recent times. And if he's given the chance, which is very much an if at this point, maybe that's one way where he can make his greatest impact, not with his unique kicking style as he's been playing less forward. Tyson Stengel has been playing forward, and he showed off pretty good tackling ability last week. Considering what a weakness the GWS defense has been for most of the year, I think there's an opportunity there for him to put on some pressure and create some chances when the Giants do get some stops. If Geelong can get out to a good early start like they did last round, I think that will bode much better for them than it did against Frio. Makes me wonder how Connor Iden is going to be used early. He was pushed forward to begin the past couple rounds and then retreated later on. But against as staunch a forward unit as the Cats have, I wonder if Leon Cameron's best move is to keep Iden in the back full time. Cats are favored for this one by three and a half. Seems like an appropriate line, even though the Giants haven't really played in a lot of close games. I think when you average everything out, and you're looking at this from a gambling perspective and trying to make the money even on both sides so that you come out on top, that seems like an appropriate place to put it. The best word to describe the Giants right now is erratic. It's very hard to tell where they're going to be from one week to the next. Maybe now that they have Toby Green, things might stabilize and we'll be able to get a clearer picture of what they actually are and just in time for them to potentially pull off another big result. Considering how up and down they are, that's reason to feel optimistic. All right, they played great last week. What are the odds of them following that up with another great performance? How long does their mania last? Unless you're a new listener, you probably already know where to find us on social media. If you are a new listener, welcome. You can find us collectively on Twitter at Americans Footy. You can find me individually at Castle Media. That's K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. You can find me individually at Benjamin HK01 on Twitter. And you can find Ethan's cat, Brian Harambe, because cats have middle names too, at cat named Brian exclusively on Instagram. As nice as it'll be to have the standalone game between Geelong and GWS, we do not have that luxury for slot C, although... As you'll come to see, one of the games is way more appealing than the other. And of course, I'll have the less appealing one. The more appealing game, in I think everybody's opinion, unless you're a very sick, twisted individual, will be between Essendon and Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium. That one will get underway on May 7th on the West Coast of the United States, where we are at 2.25 in the morning, on the East Coast at 5.25, and in Melbourne at 7.25. This game will be televised on Fox Sports 2. That's a seven broadcast, but it will be shown, at least it appears as of now, in the United States, which is a rarity with regular season programming from the AFL in the last couple years. Usually the only seven telecasts to crack the Fox bubble are the finals matchup, so this is nice to see. Essendon enter at 1-6, and having lost pretty handily to the Bulldogs last round. Meanwhile, Hawthorne sit at a pretty damn respectable 3-4 and four in 11th place on the ladder, considering the fights they put up against good teams like Melbourne, to whom they only lost by 10 this past week. 
Usually two teams that are combined four and 10 don't make for such a compelling matchup. But with the Bombers actually showing pretty good form against Collingwood being undone by a ridiculously accurate kicking and looking good for a half against the Bulldogs before disintegrating in the third quarter. Plus Hawthorne so far, at least this season, looking like a team that's making a push, maybe not into that tier of having real finals aspirations, but at least looking like a team that's on the right road. And playing well, as you said, against good competition. This should be pretty entertaining. And it didn't hurt that both the times I met last year were pretty fun. They squared off at Marvel last year in round one, where Essendon jumped out to a 40-point lead. Everything looked great. The Ben Rutten era looked like it was off to an amazing start. Everything was happy. Donuts were plentiful. And then they blew the lead. Hawthorne came back and won by a point which diehard Essendon fan and former Major League Baseball pitcher Travis Blackley described as shinning down your leg against a team who likely won't make finals. Spoiler alert, he was right. But hey, the Bombers did. And they did end up winning the rematch in round 14. It was a game that was supposed to be at the MCG, got moved to Tasmania, and the Bombers won that one by 13. Working in the Bombers' favor this time around is that Chenkwa Jeff and Mitch Lewis will each be out for the third straight week nursing their hamstring injuries. No quad strain for Connor Nash, but still some soreness there. So we'll see if he's able to return. He was subbed out in the fourth quarter last round after having done a good job defensively, first against Clayton Oliver, then against Christian Petraka. Denver Granger, Barras, and Josh Ward are likely ins again after being rested and Nash's being subbed out may open up the door for one of them. However, the Bombers have some concerns of their own. Nick Cox suffered an ankle injury last week. He may be able to play this one. No timetable's ever been given. But the big blow is that Jake Stringer once again strained his hamstring, and that will sideline him for another month having injured it against his old side in the Bulldogs. That does open up the door for Dylan Shields to get back into the main 22 after he was a late inclusion as a medical sub last round, and he did come into the contest. Tex Wanganin did not play in the VFL last week after an ankle injury, so it's unlikely he'd return. Status to be determined on his ankle, as well as that of Harrison Jones. Hawthorne favored for this one by seven and a half. I would be inclined to say the Hawks would win by more, but I think There's actually a clash of styles here that might just work in Essendon's favor. Since Hawthorne's attacks usually start from their back 50, there's a chance that Essendon can actually defend that well instead of having to worry about forwards leaking out behind them. Their midfield could have a chance to stop some things, and maybe they can prevent those attacks from starting in the first place with the sort of pressure that Mason Redmond can apply when he plays up towards the forward 50. So there's a chance here tactically for the Bombers to get crafty and make something out of this. That is, of course, if Truck grabs the bull by the horns and makes the strategic changes necessary. People were not happy with how he with how he deployed some players last week, including not dead, including not dead Ben Hobbs, not really getting not really getting a position in the midfield where he belongs. There's a reason why he was brought up from the VFL, and that reason was his midfield prowess. Jai Newcomb continued his strong form last week in that 10-point loss to the Demons. I think there's another opportunity for him to really show himself as not just a good midfielder, but perhaps the best midfielder in this game, especially with the Stringer injury. Maybe he battles with Darcy Parrish some. There was a lot of talk about Parrish after his performance on Anzac Day, where he racked up crazy possession numbers, but a lot of them weren't really of much substance, and a lot of them came very early in the game. I thought, for what it's worth, even though he didn't have anywhere near that quantity of possession against the Bulldogs, I thought he was actually more impactful. So how he follows that up and how the Hawks choose to attack him should be something to watch for in this game. I think every week I find myself looking at Hawthorne and thinking, hmm, it's going to be really fun to see how Sam Mitchell chooses to match up with this guy because his coaching has been so fun to watch. While Ethan gets to watch the Bombers of the Hawks do battle, I get to watch whatever the hell the West Coast Eagles are going to be because between their COVID outs and just how poorly they've started the season regardless of that, I have no idea what they're going to look like other than subpar. Thankfully, I'll also be watching Chris Fagan's Lions who should dominate the Eagles at the Gabba. 
This one is at the same time as Essendon and Hawthorne. So again, that's 2.25 a.m. Pacific time on the West Coast of the U.S., Saturday, May 7th, 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 5.25 p.m. Australian Western Standard Time for the masochistic Eagles fans who want to watch this one. 7.25 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And for some reason, they've decided to put this game on Fox Sports 1 in the United States. Maybe it's to showcase the Brisbane Lions, but if I had the call, I would put the more compelling game rather than the more upstanding team on the more accessible channel. Lions under this one at 6-1. and one. They're in second place. Eagles under this one at 1-6. and six. They're in 18th. Last year, they met in round 23 with the Lions not only winning, but with a late charge to secure a 38-point victory. They ended up sealing their spot in the top four. They finished in fourth place because of a couple of late kicks. A lot of great drama there in a round that I honestly slept through a lot of because I was on the East Coast making games at an extremely inaccessible hour. Anyway, the Lions ended up in fourth place, and that really helped them in the finals. I watched that game live, and I had a mix of emotions with that one. It was clear that the Eagles were not going to be making finals, and that was a shock in itself, considering how they had been in recent years, how they looked more than respectable for the first part of the season. I've never had anything against the Lions, and it was really fun to see them operating at their peak. And I guess, and I guess Eagles fans may have actually been happy to, happy about the, the margin in the end because it prevented the Sydney Swans from being, or no, never mind. It was the Bulldogs who prevented. So. Yeah, but I'm not sure how I, but I'm not sure how I feel about them in relation to the Bulldogs, who they ended up, uh, who they ended up helping in the long run. I don't know. But for the second time in three years, the Lions went out in straight sets. Before we go any further, I just want to mention that on Bovada, Brisbane are favored by 72 and a half. <laughs> All I can do is laugh because that's the largest line I've ever seen. And yet, I don't think it's large enough. Even with Joe Danaher out four to six weeks with a shoulder injury, there's nothing really that I can see the Eagles taking advantage of there. It doesn't help that Xavier O'Neal and Willie Rioli are suffering from knee and hamstring injuries, respectively. Even if Tom Barras is back, even with Gaff, Jones, the Lions are too much. And that would be the case even if the Eagles were in a better situation than they are. And by better situation, I mean maybe 14th. The biggest reason I'm confident in the Lions without Danaher is that They handled it just fine last week when he went down. Charlie Cameron put on a lot more pressure. It was another really solid game from Zach Bailey. Daniel McStay had a couple of big plays. And they just looked too deep and too strong, even without their top guy out there. As for who might be coming into the side for Brisbane, it could be Nakia Cockatoo, could be Connor McFadden or Jack Payne, could be former basketballer Tom Fullerton. With the intercepting ability that the Eagles' backlines do have, there is a wrinkle in how Chris Fagan may want to set up his forward lines. May he want to go for someone a bit taller to try to contest with those big interceptors, in which case Fullerton might get the nod? Or may he go for finesse, in which case Cockatoo might get the edge? Not only have we seen bad teams frequently get blown out of the GABA, they usually get dominated on both ends. So coming off a strong performance last week, this will be a tough act for Josh Kennedy to follow up, really by no fault of his own, just more the situation and the lack of talent around him. I did like last week that he at least gave the Eagles fans something to enjoy, and I hope he can do that again. I hope this is a compelling game. I don't think anybody expects it to be. I'm also just hoping that Jack Darling actually finds where his normal hands are because he replaced them with hands of stone this past round, and it made me remember, oh, wait, that's why he didn't want to get the jab. Can't catch anything in the first place. <laughs> As if it wasn't going to be any more fun for the Eagles, we've just learned that Luke Shuey's going to be out with hamstring soreness. Additionally, between injuries and COVID stuff, across both the AFL and the extended list, the Eagles are missing 21 players in all, so they may need a couple of waffle players to make the trip to Brisbane and their waffle game against East Fremantle has been postponed. So it sounds like more of the outs are within 
the seconds within the waffle side. Nonetheless, that is a staggering number just to look at, and it's a reflection on where this season has been for the West Coast Eagles. I feel like, though, the top-ups that come in will will inspire the Eagles to give more than they did against Richmond, like what happened against North Melbourne. Only thing is, this time, they won't come close because they're not playing North fucking Melbourne. They're playing the Brisbane fucking Lions, and this isn't finals. That said, I think the lack of expectations, the lack of pressure, it can work to their advantage. You can kind of play it as a nothing to lose type situation. That's my whole point. And just go out there and give them the best you can. This whole year is a chance for the younger Eagles, the top ups to prove themselves, maybe not just to West Coast, but to the entire AFL. See if somebody else, somebody who's maybe closer to winning a flag for crying out loud might come calling. Additionally, we've learned Adam Simpson being put in protocol. That means Matthew Knights will take the mantle there, and he will likely be the one to break the perfect run of caretaker coaches this season. I'm more upset about that than anything. Honestly, that's the only thing I care about in this game. I want to see the caretaker coaches keep winning. Honestly, the only thing to really look forward to in this matchup is the warming smile and charming presence of boundary commentator, three-time premiership player with the Brisbane Lions, Alistair Lynch. We love Lynchy. Lynchy is good for footy. Lynchy is love. Lynchy is life. Well, that's an absolute clunker to end the night. Thankfully, Eston and Hawthorne shouldn't be nearly as much. However, the two games on Sunday in Australia, so Saturday night going into early Sunday morning in the U.S., are both marquee fixtures. And it starts with Melbourne and St. Kilda at the G. Best of all, there's no overlap between these games, so you can enjoy them in their entirety. The Demons and Saints will get underway on Saturday night on the West Coast at 8.10 p.m. It'll be 11.10 on the East Coast. And then if you're in Australia, in the Eastern States, hopefully at the MCG to enjoy this one, it'll be at 1.10 p.m. on Sunday. And if you are in the United States, though, it'll be on Fox Soccer Plus. Melbourne are 7-0. They have not lost since Jake Bowie came into the side in round 20 last year. That means they have won 14 in a row. And who knows where they could go from here, especially healthy. Ethan will talk about their ins in just a bit. The Saints are 5-2, and two, and they played an absolute mess of a game last round, literally and figuratively, in Cairns where they lost by a solitary point to an inferior Port Adelaide squad with whom they likely would have had their way at any other ground. Yes, even Adelaide Oval. The Demons and Saints also met early on last year, though it was even earlier than this. Back in round two at Marvel Stadium, the Saints played host, and Melbourne won by 18 despite having a fairly inaccurate kicking day. Looks like the Demons should be good to go after a wave of positive COVID cases. Took some of their guys out last week. Coach Simon Goodwin should be back, along with Alex Neal Bolin, Harrison Petty, Kaiseya Pickett, Tom Sparrow, and perhaps most importantly, Luke Jackson. This likely means Toby Bedford, by no fault of his own, will once again find himself in the substitute role. Saints with a pretty clean bill of health as a team. Rowan Marshall is expected to return from his one-round absence with a cork quad. Probably means Tom Campbell will be sent back down to the VFL. The VFL is where Jack Billings made a return last round in his rehab from his hamstring injury. Unclear as to what his exact timetable is, but likely not this round. Melbourne favored by 20 and a half. And after the Saints lost last round, I get why it's a bit more than I expected. But I think you just have to put a gigantic asterisk on the Saints result last round because it was in Cairns. I think this is one of the times where the Demons' strengths are really going to be challenged. They've been such a good third-quarter team throughout this winning streak. St. Kilda have largely been excellent in second halves, especially third quarters. Melbourne's rock tandem has been excellent, and they're going to be tested with Patty Ryder and Rowan Marshall. Definitely a game that will emphasize the importance of having a strong second ruck, and these teams definitely have that. going to be a compelling subplot to see how those four matchups emerge against each other. That said, I think the public perception of this game based off of the point spread, and I'd agree with this as well, is that just the inevitability of Melbourne is still too much. They showed that last week, missing five players. They showed 
even if you start hot like Hawthorne usually does, even if we're shorthanded, we're going to put the clamps on you defensively in that third quarter and just take over as they did, though the Hawks obviously did earn a lot of respect with the push they made. My biggest takeaway was, like most people, that the inevitability of Melbourne was just too much to overcome, much like the significance of the passage of time. The significance of the passage of time. The significance of the passage of time. I think Melbourne, having proven their success against a team that really likes to run and counterattack, sets them up very well for following their success against Hawthorne once they killed I think the big difference there is when the Saints' best play is expected. And Max King, the onus is on you to be a hell of a lot more accurate than you've been. One seven a couple weeks ago, a couple bad misses again last round, even though everybody had bad misses. He's going to have to have a superstar game if the Saints are going to get over the edge. Obviously, he can't do it on his own, but as Max goes, so often goes the team. I do want to mention really quick, the 2020 meeting between these two teams was a ripper that the Demons won by three in Alice Springs, where the Demons held on late after taking an early 21-point lead. Four of their eight goals came from Christian Petraka. I don't think that there's much significance from that in this game, especially considering how different the Demons are from what they were then. But I just thought it was fun to note because I remember it being a really enjoyable game. Round 8 concludes with Carlton and Adelaide squaring off at Marvel Stadium. If you're glued to the TV or your computer while the Dees and Saints are playing, good news. You'll have time to get up, go to the bathroom, maybe even put some pies in the oven and start eating them before this game begins because it doesn't start until 4.40 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, 4.10 p.m. for the South Australian viewers, In the United States, that's 2.40 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday the 8th, 11.40 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Saturday the 7th. This will be on Fox Sports 2, so another pretty accessible game for the American audience. If you're an absolute mad lad, you could conceivably go to both the MCG and Marvel and see both games, which is what I would totally do if I was in Melbourne. I've done similar things with going to two baseball games in the same day, going to multiple college basketball games in the same day, or a college basketball game and a hockey game in the same day. I did two college football games in the same day last year on Halloween, so it can be done, and I hope that I have an Australian counterpart who is doing just that. The Blues enter this one 5-2. and two. They're in sixth place. The Crows 3-4 and four, sitting in 12th after shitting down their leg last week, getting absolutely blasted by the Giants. Man, that's the second time we've talked about shitting down our legs this episode. What's up with that? Last, last year, when neither of these teams ended up in contention, they met at Marvel Stadium like they're going to do this year. That was in round 15 in 2021, and Carlton won by 10 points. Obviously, a very different situation for both teams since then. We're another year into the Matthew Nix era, and there does seem to be some development and some list building there. And we're now close to a third of the way into into the first year of the Michael Vaughn era with a lot of positives there, considering how he's been able to let the deep list play as they should. Some of that depth was tested last week, but shouldn't be as troubling this time because Zach Williams is expected to be back in. Also of note for the Blues, Lewis Young won his appeal from a one-game suspension and will be back in action. On the more negative side for Carlton, Mitch McGovern suffered a significant setback with a pretty major hamstring injury that's going to now keep him out for 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, Two concussions quite literally rattled the Crows in the second half last round. Brody Smith took a hanger that probably wasn't nominated for Mark of the Week because he was injured on it. And then Ned McHenry also got concussed as well. That opens the door for Wayne Millera and Jimmy Rowe to return to the side. As we often talk about Riley Philthorpe here, because we really think he's stand another chance. Looks like it won't happen this week between his knee issue that bugged him a couple rounds ago, as well as him having been in protocols last week. So no need for Lachlan Gallant to sweat about his inclusion in all likelihood and a chance for him to prove his worth again. It's a testament to where the Crows have elevated their game to in the last couple of years. Entering last season, I remember looking at them and really thinking very little of them outside of Wayne Malera and Taylor Walker. 
Now Malera's barely squeaking his way back into the side. They've still got some work to do to become a final team. They're coming off a crap game last week. Who knows? Maybe they'll completely fall off as the season continues like they did last year. Heck, they've already got their three wins. That said, the talent on this team is way better than it's been, as reflected by Malera not being the standout top guy on this squad. He's just a player. And that's a good situation to be in, and it reflects well on the pros. Adelaide really need to shore up their ball handling in a lot of aspects. I was surprised with the number of times they fumbled or had trouble picking up the ball. If fixed, that can instantly make them a lot more fluid and can let Ben Keyes and Jordan Dawson work their magic as they've often done. There's a reason that Ben Keyes is so high up in the Brownlow tracker. And from there, they can get more kicks to their deep forward group. Obviously, there's Walker, there's Rochelle. If they get one to Jimmy Rowe, who knows what it could start for his confidence and his scoring because he often tends to have good runs in games. This could be a really fun shootout, although I think the Carlton defense can do enough to keep the Blues in control. Expect a good game out of Jacob Wietering. Maybe not another goal, but a good game out of him. And I just don't see the Crows having any way to really deal with the Crips and Mackay show. The Crips and Mackay show? This is Charlie Kernow erasure, and I will not stand for it. I expect that he'll have a more accurate outing than he did last round when he got three goals, but had the potential for a lot more. Along with Smith and Rick Henry being injured, Matt Crouch has been straight up omitted. His numbers have been dipping a bit as of late, but he's been averaging 27 touches, around four clearances, and three and a half tackles. So a significant out that could really change some of their ball use going through the middle. Of course, a lot will still go through Ben Keyes, who has been named captain for this week as they rotate things in the absence of Rory Sloan for the rest of the season. Additionally, Crows head coach Matthew Nix has been placed in COVID protocols. That means Scott Burns will take the reins as caretaker coach for this round, though with the caretaker's perfect record likely having gone by the wayside by then, courtesy of Brisbane thrashing Matthew Knights and West Coast, I have no positive prospects for the Crows based on that news. Blues favored by 22 and a half, reasonable considering what we now know about the various outs for Adelaide, as well as each team's performance thus far this season and this past round in particular. I would probably take the Blues to cover that, although you don't think the Crows can play quite as poorly as they did last week. That said, they've been unpredictable at times this year, so was unpredictable enough that that happened at the Adelaide Oval, so I have absolutely no idea what to expect from them in any way. But if Keyes and Dawson are able to operate at full strength, then seeing how they're going to negotiate with Walsh, Chera, Cripps could be really fun. Also, it's just so weird to talk about these teams and then think, wait a minute, we're not talking about any bets. Maybe he'll get involved with the commentary for this game. I hope that's the case, because commentary is always really good. This is the only game in this round between teams that'll match up twice this year. They're playing again in round 20 at the Adelaide Oval. With that, that just about concludes our round eight preview. Hopefully, unlike last week, we won't have too many changes to expected rosters between the time of recording and the time that we release this. Knowing our luck, we probably will. In that case, be sure to check us out on Twitter for our commentary about those roster changes. We are available, as always, at Americans Footy. I'm available at Castle Media. My cat, Brian, who's probably outside my door right now, is available on Instagram, not Twitter, at cat named Brian. I'm available on Twitter at BenjaminHK01, but what I'm looking forward to doing right now is editing this episode and then sleeping because I've got a hell of a next 10 days ahead of me as I close out my undergraduate collegiate career. Of course, I'll still make time to watch as much of the footy as I can. We look forward to joining you again for our round eight recap in just a few days. Thanks as always for tuning in. I don't really have anything else to sign off with, although I will say I just learned if you type Adelaide Crows into Google, Somewhere under the autocomplete, not sure exactly where, depending on your algorithm and past searches, you'll find a poet named Adelaide Crapsy, and that's about as bad of a last name to have as Lipschitz. She died at age 36, 
while two of her sisters died much younger, one at 11, one at 24. So I guess they had a pretty crapsy life. Everybody slap your knee over that one. You can't really throw a tomato at me, but if you want to try mailing me one, they wouldn't really hold up well in the mail. I don't know. Tweet tomato emojis at me if you want to throw tomatoes at me for that being such a shit joke. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Seriously, that was that was completely organic. Yeah, I'm calling bull. On that note, goodbye, I guess. Just remember, if you think your life sucks, at least your last name isn't crapsy. Unless it is, in which case, I admire your ability to make a good life for yourself despite that. What if they're making a bad life for themselves? In that case, disregard that statement. Goodbye. Goodbye.